0: To start by asking a question What is the purpose of an individual Christian in our world today? Now, maybe you've thought about the purpose of the church before, but I wonder if you've thought about what your purpose is as an individual Christian in this world. And I think that a lot of people might answer that in a lot of different ways, but some people might simply say, I don't know. And the reason they don't know is because they haven't really thought about it before. And that's the problem, right? For too long, Christians in our country have not thought about their purpose. For too long, Christians in our country in particular have lived as though they have no purpose. So, sure, they go to church whenever it's convenient for them and doesn't interfere with anything else. They might occasionally talk to someone about Jesus and have a gospel conversation, but that is almost all they think their purpose to be. And then we wonder why the world is in the state that it's in today. It's because problems persist when something or someone is not used in the way that it's supposed to be used. When they don't serve their purpose. And actually, uh, it kind of reminds me of this picture I saw. I think we might have it up on the screen. Okay, here you go. Now, it might be a little difficult for you to see from where you're at, but understand this young man has a problem. What's his problem? He is blinded by the sun. He's trying to watch some sporting event, maybe baseball by the looks of it. He's trying to enjoy it, but the sun is blinding, so he has to use his arm. But that's going to get tiring, right? He's going to get fatigue in his arm. He needs something to help him, something that could possibly, you know, block out the sun. If such an invention had been invented, maybe like a baseball hat. Oh, wait, no, he's got one of those. (laughs) Let's turn around backwards, right? And I don't know if you can see it where you're at. There's this other invention that's really cool. uh, Sunglasses with specific lenses to block out the sun. He's got those two. They're on the back of his head sitting on his hat. All right. So as funny as that might be, right, when I look at that picture, I think of the modern day Christian. Because here's a man in the world who is experiencing a real problem. And he's got two things that could easily solve that problem for him a hat and some sunglasses if only they were doing what they were intended to do. Do you see where I'm going with this? How often is the church like that hat and those sunglasses? How often are individual Christians just like that hat and those sunglasses where we just sit back doing absolutely nothing, not serving our purpose like we're supposed to in this world? You see, when we look at our world today, we do see that there are real problems, right, church? We see there's injustice, There's racism. There's vulgarity. You see the epidemic of abortion. You see abuse. You see all these type of things. And Christians could actually make real progress in solving these problems and bringing solutions to these problems if only we were to live out our purpose like Jesus called us to do, right? Christians could be incredibly useful in this world if we would actually be who Jesus called us to be and do what Jesus called us to do. And that's Jesus' whole point about being salt and light in this world. You see, the point is this. Christians are called to be useful by combating the effects of sin in this world. That's how we're to be useful in the world. Christians are called to be useful by combating the effects of sin in this world. And if that's our purpose, then you have to wonder, well, what does that look like? Right? (laughs) It's one thing to say, I'm supposed to be combating the effects of sin, but, but the question then is, well, how do we do that? How do we combat the effects of sin in this world? And that's what I want us to consider this morning, because that's what Jesus is talking about here. So look at me at verse 13, if you have your Bibles open, Matthew five thirteen, The Bible says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, you have to understand that these two metaphors that Jesus is using here of light and salt, they have the same principle behind them, just with different applications. So the point is the same for both, right? Light and salt, it's all about usefulness. They're both useful and they have a purpose. They have specific things they're used for. So for example, in the ancient world, salt had 11 distinct purposes and uses. And now we will consider each one slowly and carefully. (laughs) Now, could you imagine? All right, that'd be terrible. Jesus didn't intend to communicate all 11 purposes when he said this, right? Because if you think about it, salt in the ancient world just pretty much, even if it did have 11 distinct possible purposes, it really had two primary ones, right? Salt was used to purify, and it was used to preserve. So that's exactly what I think Jesus is intending here. You think about those purposes, if there was an infection or disease, people would often put salt in it, in order to heal it and purify it, right? And and there's an example of this in the Bible, in 2 Kings chapter 2. The Bible says, Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. That's the problem that they're dealing with. So here's what Elisha says. He says, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said... Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. You see, here's what's going on, right? Jesus is delivering his famous Sermon on the Mount. And he looks out at this world and he sees that this world has become infected and corrupted by the disease of sin. He sees that this world is in need of salt. And so what does he do then? He turns to his followers and he says, you are the salt of the earth. He sees the problem of sin in the world and he looks to his followers, his people, as the solution to the problem of sin and its effects in the world. He says that his people are to bring healing to the world, to purify the world. In the same way that people would rub salt into a wound to heal it and purify it, Jesus rubs his people into the world to heal it and purify it of the effects of sin. Which means Christians are to be actively engaged in fighting sin in this world and seeking to rid the world of sin. And that's the whole point that Jesus is making here. He's saying as the salt of the earth, Christians are to be reformers purifying the world of sin. That's what we're supposed to be doing. This is one of our our first distinct purposes as the salt of the earth. We are to be reformers who purify the world of sin. You see, the church is not meant to just sit back and do nothing, right? The church is not meant to just gather on Sundays and sit here in these pews and listen to me preach or Jordan preach or Joseph preach and then go back to your house and wait till next Sunday and come back and we do it all again, right? In the same way that the kingdom of darkness wages war on the church, the church must wage war on the kingdom of darkness. We cannot be just relaxed and sit here as if our world is not slowly dying due to the infection of sin. You are the salt of the earth, Christians. Jesus called you that. It means you're supposed to go and do something about the infection of sin in this world. And the church has been the most effective, and the church has seen the most growth when she has been actively engaged in fighting sin in the world. When individual Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, actually get active, God accomplishes great things, and he begins to purify the world of sin. And there are so many examples of this that we could consider, but, but just think of one. Consider the work of God in the life of William Wilberforce. Anybody recognize the name William Wilberforce? He was a Christian man, a politician in the 17 and 1800s. And he actually thought about leaving his role as a member of parliament to pursue full-time vocational ministry. He thought, that's how I can be most effective. But he received some good advice from my favorite pastor of all time, his buddy John Newton. And John Newton told him, I believe that God is going to use you to do great things right where you are. So don't leave, don't pursue full-time vocational ministry, stay a politician. You don't hear that advice too often, right? <laughs> For the glory of God, be a politician. But yet, that's the advice he got. And so, William Wilberforce, what he did is he set his aims on a particular sin in his day. He saw the infection of the slave trade industry in his day, and he determined to devote his life to purifying the British Empire of that particular sin. And he spent decades and decades and decades of his life doing exactly that, fighting that, raising awareness about it, pleading with people to abolish it. And he made this his life's work. And listen to me, by God's grace, he was successful. And the transatlantic slave trade was abolished in 1807 primarily due to the work of God in the life of an individual Christian who identified sin in his day and said, I want it gone. I want to bring healing and purification to my country and to this world. And he went to war on sin. That's what it looks like to be salt in the earth, right? It's very easy. It's very practical. Or you can think about the life, for instance, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., He's another example of this. He looked in his day in our country and he saw the disease and the infection of racism and prejudice and injustice. And as a Christian man, he sought to purify this country of the disease of racism in his day. And so what did he do? He preached. He marched. He gave speeches. He addressed leaders. And he helped to bring about real change to the problem of racism in our country. What was he doing, church? Church? He was acting as salt. He was seeking to bring healing and purification to the disease of sin in his day. And listen, praise God, this kind of stuff is still going on today. Amen. We still have Christian men and women who are not just sitting back hoping that Jesus will return and they don't have to do anything. That they see that they have a mission. And so you have Christian men and women today who are actually setting their sights on the horrors of abortion and human trafficking in our day. And what they're doing is they're going state to state and they're addressing state legislative bodies to get these things outlawed and fixed in our day. They see the disease of sin and they say we need to heal it and purify it because we are the salt of the earth. This is what it means to be salt, church. Jesus is not being complicated here. We're not supposed to be confused by this metaphor. He says salt is useful. My people will be useful in this world. They will bring healing and purification to this world and rid it of the infection of sin. And I want you to understand that's what you're supposed to do as well. As an individual Christian, as a follower of Christ, we are to identify the sinful infections of our day and go to war on sin to go to war on the kingdom of darkness. You see, the main problem, I think, with Christians today is that we're often content to just sit back and do absolutely nothing, right? We're content to just sit back and watch the world die of sin's disease. And this is not what Jesus called us to do. This is not who Jesus called us to be. We can't just sit here and do nothing, church. People are always complaining about our world. Imagine if the church got active. Rather than just sitting here complaining or getting on Facebook and writing a pithy post or something, imagine if we got out and did something. Imagine if we went to war on the kingdom of darkness. If we sought to bring about healing and purification to the disease of sin in our day. Nothing's going to get done unless the people who were saved by the grace of God and empowered by the Spirit of God go to work for the kingdom of God. You can't expect a world that is dead and in darkness. To bring healing to the infection of sin. That's up to us. And so we have this responsibility. If you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to understand this. Jesus is rubbing you as salt into this world to bring healing and purification. And so my question to you is, what will your calls be? You see the calls of William Wilberforce, you see the calls of Martin Luther King Jr., you see the calls of Christian men and women today. My question for you sitting here this morning is, what's your call going to be? What are you going to devote your life to? What are you going to fight for? When you look at the various sins in our day, what is it that grabs your heart and burdens it like no other and you say, "I cannot sleep. I cannot rest until something is done about this." For you, it could be abortion, It could be human trafficking. It could be injustice, racism. It could be addiction or oppression. But whatever it is, you are called to be a reformer in this world who brings healing and purification because that's who Jesus has called you to be. So, what will you seek to reform? You need to identify something and then let's go to work. Let's go to war. That's what the church is called to do. We're to be reformers who purify. But then remember, there was another aspect of salt, right? When Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, it's not just about purification. We mentioned this other aspect of uh, salt, which is salt was used to preserve, right? If you remember, the ancient world didn't have a lot of refrigerators, right? They had no refrigerators. (laughs) And so if you were wanting to keep meat from spoiling and going bad, what would you do with it? You Throw salt on it, and salt was used to preserve it. If the meat was left on its own without some sort of preservative, it would tend to fester and spoil, right? Because it had no preserving agent. Well, in the same way, because of sin, our world, when it's left to itself and has no preserving agent, tends to fester and spoil, right? It needs this preserving agent, something to help prevent further decay in our world. And so you can think of Christians as having an offensive role, in a defensive role, right? Offensively, we address sin head on and go to war with it and try to rid our world of it. But defensively, we also are trying to restrain further sin from taking place in our world to prevent more decay from happening in our world. We are to be salt that preserves righteousness and goodness in this world. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. As the salt of the earth, we're to be restrainers preventing further moral and spiritual decay. So we're reformers who purify, and then we're restrainers who prevent or preserve, try to keep further moral and spiritual decay from taking place. And again, you see great examples of this in our world today, right? Like, I mean, let's just go back to the political field. Uh, there are Christian men and women today who are serving in Congress. I know that's a shocker, but it is possible. There are Christians who, Who are politicians and praise God for them, and they're serving in Congress, and and one of the most important things they do is they help write these laws and bills and get them passed that are for the good of our world, but something that they often do that goes overlooked, and it's one of the most important things, is they help prevent and stop bills and legislature from passing that would actually further the moral and spiritual decay of our world. They see these bills come across their desk all the time. They realize how bad it would be for our world. They realize the sin that would take place because of this bill and how sin would be allowed to flourish because of this bill. And so what do they do? They shut it down and praise God for it. That's them acting as salt to seek to preserve our world from further moral and spiritual decay. And listen, I you to understand, we've talked a lot about politics. You don't have to be a politician. I don't know that God's calling you to do that. Maybe he is. But but understand that each and every Christian in here this morning, you have your own sphere of influence, don't you? You have your own friends, your own family. You have your co-workers, your place of business, the place you go to eat all the time where you walk in and they know your order number by heart. You probably eat there too much. But you have your sphere of influence. And God is using you as salt, as a preserving agent, to try to prevent further moral and spiritual decay in your sphere of influence. This happens on an individual level. And listen, you might not like it, but it is your responsibility as a Christian because sometimes it is uncomfortable. I used to have to do this all the time at Lowe's. Uh, Anna could tell you tons of stories. Uh, that I went through at Lowe's, but I remember one in particular. I used to work with a bunch of guys who were either married or they were in long-term committed relationships, Right? But for some reason they felt like that went right out the door when they came to work (laughs) and so they would flirt a lot with the females at work and i remember one day in particular my direct supervisor who was a professing christian and married uh, for like 10 plus years at that point there was this one female at work who was just absolutely infatuated with him they she was always flirting with him always trying to get his attention and one day in particular, I see them flirting and, and laughing, and, and then all of a sudden they sneak off to the back together alone. And I'm thinking, okay, nothing good's going to come from this. You have two options at that point, right? You pretend you don't see anything, and you're just like, that's not my, my problem. That's not my business. I'm going to butt out. Or you have the hard responsibility of remembering that you are the salt of the earth, and Jesus has called you to try to prevent further moral and spiritual decay. And you try to convince yourself that doesn't apply to me, but then you remember it actually does. And so what do you do? Well, I snuck to the back with them, pretended I needed to get something back there. I get back there, and I see them touching and laughing and flirting. And it was bad, and I was thinking, this is no good. I don't know what I'm doing here. So I just turned to him, and I was like, hey, man, how's your wife? (laughs) It's the only thing I could think to say in the moment. But the looks on their face, let me tell you, just... It's like he suddenly remembered he was married. And it was uncomfortable. He like, oh, yeah, she's good, she's good. And then they tried to go back to touching and flirting and laughing. And Anna and I, we were not married at the time. We were just engaged. So I was like, okay, shot number two, here we go. Uh, I said, hey, my fiancé and I were getting married in September. What is the biggest lesson you've learned from marriage, from being married to your wife? Like, What, is, what would be your absolute best advice that you could give us as a couple getting ready to be married? And that made him start talking about his own marriage, and so he starts remembering all the good things about his wife and their marriage, and he starts giving me marriage advice, you know, marriage advice. And the female was so uncomfortable at that point, she just walked away and left. And I was thinking, okay, whew, job's done. <laughs> you know, didn't know if I could do this every time, but but that was an example of having to serve as a preserving agent. Was it uncomfortable and awkward? Yeah, really uncomfortable and awkward. It was not fun. But listen to me, sometimes salt burns, doesn't it? And if you're going to be the salt of the earth, you have to be willing to burn a couple people. You have to be willing to put yourself in those uncomfortable situations, those awkward situations. Because I know for a fact, like I said, every one of you has a sphere of influence. And there are some things going on in your sphere of influence right now that you need to speak up about that you need to address people about, that you need to begin to try to serve as a preserving agent to prevent further moral and spiritual decay. And one of the reasons that we see sin persist in our world is because Christians keep their mouths shut and do nothing. We see sin happening all around us, and what's our excuse, church? We say, that's not my problem. That's not my issue. I have no right to get involved. Who am I to get involved? I'll tell you who you are. You're the salt of the earth. Again, you cannot expect those who are dead in their sins to do something about the problem of sin in our world. If we are to try to get a hold on the sin in our world, Christians must step up and do something. We must serve as that preserving agent. Because listen, if a Christian does nothing and sin is allowed to continue, what good are we? What good is salt if it's not being used for salt? And that's exactly what Jesus says, right? He says, listen, if salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? He says, at that point, the only thing it's good for is to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And now here's the interesting thing. You've got to remember, in Jesus' day, the salt in his region was impure. It, It was not a pure salt. And so what would happen is if the salt was exposed to, like, water or the elements, the very first thing to go was the NACL, the thing that makes salt... Salt, And so what you were left with was this white substance that looked exactly like salt, but it lacked the very thing that made salt, salt. And so what they did at that point is they would crush it up, they would throw it out into the road to help pave the roads, and then what was it done? It was trampled underfoot. And Jesus is saying, if my people do not serve as a purifying agent in this world, if my people never try to prevent further moral and spiritual decay from happening, if they ignore their purpose entirely, what good are Christians? Nothing. We're good for nothing at that point. One of the biggest problems in the world today is we have a bunch of people who look like salt and are content to look like salt, but they lack the very thing that makes salt, salt. Salt. We have a bunch of people who are absolutely content to look the look and ignore the walk. They don't want to walk the walk. I'll look like a Christian. I'll call myself a Christian. I'll say I love Jesus. I'll talk to people about Jesus. I'll say I'm a member of this church I attend here. Just talk, 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 talk. But that's all it is, that's as far as it goes. Christians are not meant to sit back and watch this world rot away because we're busy talking about how great we are as the salt of the earth while we do nothing to actually be the salt of the earth. That's hypocrisy. Jesus has gathered us in in order to send us out. He rubs his people as salt into this world to purify the disease of sin and prevent further decay. This is our purpose as kingdom citizens. If you're here this morning and you claim to be a Christian, this is your purpose. And the reason the world is rotting away is because Christians have lost their saltiness. The very thing that makes salt, salt. And so we need to examine our lives this morning, church. How are you actively seeking to combat the disease of sin in this world? How are you acting as a purifying agent? How are you seeking to prevent further rot and decay? Because if we're not doing those things, we are nothing more than saltless salt. And Jesus says, not only are we the salt of the earth, but we're the light of the world. You saw that there, right? In verses 14 through 16, notice what he says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So light, like salt, has a purpose, right? Light is used for illumination. So if you're in a dark room, you want to be able to see, what do you do? You turn on a lamp. How much sense would it make to then throw a blanket over the lamp? Defeats the purpose entirely, Right? Light is meant to shine. And Jesus says that we, as his followers, listen to me, church, we're meant to shine as well. We are the light of the world. And it's interesting, when Jesus says you are the light of the world here, in the Greek, the you is emphatic. So it actually reads you and you alone are the light of the world. Again, we shouldn't expect those in darkness to try to bring light to this world, should we? Jesus has a solution for the darkness of the world, and it is his followers. They are to be the light of the world. And please understand this. Hear me, especially if you're a visitor here and you're like, okay, this is starting to sound a little puffed up. Christians are not the light of the world because we're better than anybody else. We're not. We are sinners saved by grace and absolutely dependent on the mercy and grace of God. So we're not better than anyone else. Amen? Christians are not the light of the world because we have done something to earn it or achieve it. There was not something about us that God said, oh, there's something great in him. I'm going to give him this designation. That is not why we are the light of the world. Christians are the light of the world because Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. So don't miss this, church. The only reason we shine is because Jesus shines. Christians are nothing other than than like the moon, right? On a dark night, you look up at the moon, beautiful and bright, and then you remember, wait a second, the moon gives off no light of itself, right? It has no illumination power. The only reason that the moon shines bright is because it's reflecting the light of the sun. And listen to me, the only reason Christians shine is because we too reflect the light of the sun. The one who said of himself, I am the light of the world. And so, listen to me. This is what Jesus is saying here. As the light of the world, Christians are to be revealers, bringing illumination about God and His kingdom. So, reformers who purify, restrainers who prevent, and revealers who bring illumination about God and His kingdom. Because when Jesus said, You're the light of the world, he was also saying of the world, You are in utter and complete darkness. You need light. And his solution was to turn to his followers and say, go and be the light that they need. You see, here's the problem with our world. Not only are they in darkness, but there's a bigger issue. The overwhelming majority of the world has no idea that they're even in darkness. It's kind of like when a person is colorblind. Okay, think about it like this. A man will live his whole life until he marries his beautiful red-headed wife, thinking he can see every color God created. This is me. Okay, (laughs) Thinking he can see every color in life is great. And then one day he goes to match his clothes. And his wife informs him those colors don't match. And you're like, what are you talking about? This color matches this color. And she goes, they do match, but that's not that color. And then you go, I had no idea that I couldn't see particular colors. You would have no idea that you couldn't see certain colors until someone comes and tells you, hey, guess what? That color that you think it is, that's not what it is. In the same way, the world has no idea that they're in darkness because no one has told them they're in darkness. They've just grown used to it. The darkness to them is their normal. It's their commonplace. They grow accustomed to the darkness because they've lived in it their whole life, and so they have no idea that they're even in the darkness anymore. But then they run up against another issue because here's the thing. Even if some of them finally realize that they are in darkness, they can't tell you why. They have no idea why the world is the way that it is. They can say, okay, this is wrong with our world, and this is wrong with our world. We don't like this about it, and this, 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 and that. And then you ask them, okay, why do those things exist? And they say, I don't know, economics maybe? Education maybe? Maybe we need a different political system? They try all these solutions, not realizing that the reason that the world is in darkness is because sin has laid waste to this world. Sin has devastated this world. And sin has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they don't even realize they're in darkness. And so that's why Christians are called to be revealers who bring illumination about God and His kingdom. We must go and tell the world that all is not well. That they are not living in the light like they think they are. That they are in darkness because of sin. And then we must go further. And as the lights of the world, we must guide them out of the darkness, right? We must show them the true light who is Jesus and tell them if they will just leave their sins behind, if they will turn from their sins, if they will follow Jesus as the true light, they will be delivered out of the darkness and they will join the kingdom of light. That's what we're supposed to do. We bring illumination. We guide people out of the darkness. But then we also have to demonstrate, right? If we're to be the lights of the world, whose light are we reflecting, church? Christ. Yeah, Jesus. We're reflecting the light of Jesus. So when people look at us, they should be seeing Jesus, which means Christians have a responsibility to imitate Christ in this world, to live as he lived. It means we're to go to people and show them the love of Christ, the way that he loved the world. We're to go and care for their needs the way that Jesus cared for the needs of the world. Again, but one of the main problems with the church today is that we've grown merely content to just tell people that we're Christians and we go to this church and we're the light of the world while we do absolutely nothing to help them out. So I want you to think about it like this. Imagine, imagine there was a man drowning at sea. And he's totally helpless. He can't swim. He's hopeless. And there he is alone in the middle of the sea, and then he sees a boat. And a man on the boat comes up beside him. And he calls out and he says, don't worry. We're from the Coast Guard. We're the search and rescue team. We, we go and search for those in need and we rescue them in their distress. You have nothing to worry about because we are rescuers and we are here. Well, immediately, the man who is drowning is just absolutely relieved, right? He's thinking, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. I thought I was definitely going to die. But here's a man who says that he's a rescuer and that he's assuring me he's here with me. He says, praise God, I'm saved. And the man from the Coast Guard replies back and says, Yes, absolutely, no need to worry. We are rescuers, and we are here with you. And then he sails away, and he leaves the man to drown and die alone. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think the drowning man cares anything at all about the, a person claiming to be a rescuer and a person assuring him that he is there with him if that person is absolutely unwilling to help him out in his moment of need? No. Of course not. And yet, how often is that a picture of Christians in the church in our world today? We go about saying we're Christians. We go to George's Creek Baptist Church. I was baptized when I was seven. I've made a profession of faith at this age. I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I did this. I am a light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I am here for the world. And yet we do absolutely nothing to address them in their moment of need. We leave them to suffer. We turn a blind eye. We judge them. We critique them. We question their motives. The world is there drowning in the darkness. And we are content to merely tell them, I'm here, I'm a Christian. But unwilling to reach out our hand to do absolutely anything about it. And again, we wonder why our world is in the state that it's in today. It's because Christians are not living out their purpose. I want to tell you this morning, Listen to me on this. The world will not care about what you have to say about Jesus if you aren't actually living like Jesus. You could quote the Bible. You could know theology like the back of your hand. You could be bold enough to tell every single person you know about Jesus, but no one on earth is going to care what you have to say about Jesus if you aren't actually living like Jesus. If the message you preach contradicts the life you live, then you have become saltless salt in a covered light. And the world will reject us and our message. We're meant to shine, church. We're meant to care for the lost and dying world. We're to attend to their needs. and, And when they see our good works, they're to give glory to our Father who's in heaven. You see, we go to the world and we want them to see our love for them and our care for them and how we address their needs because we want them to see that this is what Jesus did for us. And we want them to bring glory to the Father who is in heaven. Our aim must be entirely set on the glory of God. So so I want you to hear me on this. If we help people as a church, if we're involved in missions activity, and we send supplies, we send resources, and we help a ton of people, and those people never join George's Creek Baptist Church, but they do join the kingdom of God, then praise God for that. Because that is our ultimate aim. We're not here to make ourselves the biggest church in Easley. We're here to make heaven crowded. We want them to join the kingdom of God and give glory to God. If we help people out as individuals, and they never learn our name, they never know who it is that helped them, but they do come to know and love and cherish the name of Jesus, then praise God, because that's what we're after. We don't need people to know who we are. We want people to know who Jesus is. Amen? That is our aim as a church. Let the name George's Creek be forgotten. Let our individual names be forgotten. But let the name of Christ be known and loved and cherished and treasured for all of eternity. I want you to imagine what this world would look like if we actually lived this way. As salt and light in a world infected by the disease of sin. Imagine the difference we can make here in our own community. If every church in Easley actually lived out their purpose as salt and light, imagine what you would see done here. And let it start with us, George's Creek. Let's be salt and seek to purify this world of the disease of sin. Set your targets on a sin. Pick one out and then go after it. Go to war. Let's be salt and seek to prevent further moral and spiritual decay. We need to let our Christian influence be an influence for good and righteousness in our world. And we need to be the lights that Jesus has called us to be. Proclaiming the good news about Jesus. That this world is in darkness, but Jesus has provided a way out. They need only to turn from their sins and follow Him. We must be reformers who purify, restrainers who prevent, and revealers who illuminate. I have no idea how history will remember our church. I have no idea what they will end up saying about our church. Probably a lot. But may they never be able to say that we were not a useful and effective church for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray.